0: Now this church that he had planted is having problems. And this particular letter was prompted by members of the congregation who saw those issues and called on the authority of the Apostle Paul to address them. Because the letter is a response to abuses, it has some very direct rebuke and instruction for the people who live there. And this is where you get to make a decision here. This is where you need to decide. Either the Bible is God's word, inspired and infallible, worthy of being trusted, or it's something else. Because a whole lot of what you read in 1 Corinthians is hard to read. Not because they use big words, but because it applies to us and reveals our heart in a big way. 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17 I'll read that all scripture is god-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of god may be thoroughly equipped for every good work just a little bit further in second timothy chapter 4 1 through 5 in the presence of god and of christ jesus who will judge the living and the dead and in the view of his appearing and his kingdom i give you this charge Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they will suit, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge the duties of your ministry. Really, for you today, it's to decide, do you trust God or not? (coughs) And this decision needs to be made because often we read the Bible, we like to cherry pick. (coughs) We like to find things that we agree with, and we disregard things we don't. We like to shout amen at the things we agree with or that apply to the faults of others. But if something applies to us or if the spirit is convicting us through his word, we like to disregard it or try to push it aside as though those have no value for us. This is the word that is to shape our lives in the image of Christ. When we reject it, the consequences affect more than ourselves. When we we reject the word of God, we're, we're rejecting him. We're not trusting him. Now, I say all this to preface. There's a reason they say don't shoot the messenger. It's because people have shot the messenger, okay? Okay. I spoke someone... I spoke with someone this week who said a large part of why he wants nothing to do with the church is because it's people because of its people and the way they live are something he would never want to replicate. They say they belong to God, but their actions and their attitudes display the contrary. Where are we going to resolve to find ourselves? <clears throat> So take all this in mind as we approach chapter 7. The word of God is not subjective. It's, tr- it's truth that applies to us. And how we should live, how are we going to receive it then? Now that I've got you all excited. 1 <laughs> Corinthians chapter 7. Now for matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. This is something that this church had written to Paul. Now, why did they write this to Paul? Is the question. That is because in their culture there was this sense of morality seekers who were rejecting everything that was Im- that was immoral, but they were declaring things that God had said was good as also as immoral. That's why we're going to get later to food sacrifice to idols and all these other kinds of things that God has created and declared good. So Paul's going to address that right now in what he wrote and what he wrote to them. So, in this instance, is it good for a man not to have sexual relationship, relations with a woman? Yes and no. Okay, so we'll get there. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. This I say as a concession, not a command, applies to verse 5. He's talking about verse 5 when he says that. I wish that all of you were as I am. That is, single, wholly devoted to God. God is his only focus. He's the only thing that he has to worry about. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, and another that. So Paul is... Immediately kind of shutting down what they said at the beginning. Saying, you know, we all have our own gifts. God has, decreed, has created sex. He said it's good. So, that's that. <clears throat> now, if you heard all of what I just read and you're like elbowing the person next to you. Okay? I think that you're missing the point. The core issue here is that of a selfish relationship. And the selfish one could be you. Here's how you know that you're being selfish in your relationship, or even specifically selfish related to sex. If you catch yourself saying, I'm entitled, or I deserve... then it's likely that that's your fault in your character right there. The intimate relationship you share with your spouse reflects the union that you share. Sex is not the foundation. Christ is the foundation. And your love is to function in the same manner in which he loved you. Read Ephesians 5 for more on that. The Bible teaches that marriage is not a selfish endeavor, rather a commitment of servant love that mirrors the relationship of Christ and the church. If you ever feel like you're like the superior one in terms of love, read 1 Corinthians 13, the one they probably read at your wedding, that talks all about God's love, and compare your love... To God's love. Once you do that, then approach those conversations with your spouse. After you've read 1 Corinthians 13. And if you're looking at 1 Corinthians 13 and you're going, Oh, I see a problem right here. They don't have... have, uh, They're boasting or whatever it is inside that. You really should be looking at yourself and analyzing yourself through 1 Corinthians 13. Do that before starting a conversation about your your relationship together. That chapter describes the true nature of love. And if you read through it thinking of all your spouse's failure to love without recognizing your own, it's time to ask God to give you his wisdom and conviction. The solution to your troubles usually starts, not external with what somebody else is doing, but Normally, internally. You all likely knew at one time that you didn't deserve the person that God gave you. Anybody ever said that before? I'm so lucky, I I just don't deserve you. At what point did you forget that? That attitude of humility was of great value to your marriage. Verse 8. Now to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. So it's a good thing. Does he say they have to stay unmarried? No, he says it's a good thing. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this command. Now, he has these caveats in here. He says, not I, but the Lord. Maybe your Bible has some quotations. Or actually, I, I, sorry, maybe I put that around it. But, um, but I wanted to emphasize what, he, what he's emphasizing there. Not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried, or else be reconciled to her husband and a husband must not divorce his wife aren't those the 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 verses that we would want to toss out but can we paul himself is emphasizing that this is not some man-made rule God is the designer of marriage, just as he's the designer of us, and all the benefits that go along with marriage. And so, in this verse, he's also giving us a command on how we are to enjoy and engage that gift that he's given us. Now, the hard time sometimes about preaching is that you need to preach the whole Bible at the same time. And it's really hard to do that, because there are um, circumstances in which you feel attacked by what I just read. But rather than looking at at the exemptions, I want you to look at the command that God is giving us. Marriage is good. I made it for you. Don't forsake the gift I gave you we'll come back to these, as the whole context will shed wisdom on them. The problems facing the Corinthian church is not much different than we experience today. Today, there's this huge expectation that if you're not married, you're not happy. Like, now people delay marriage longer than they ever have before, but at the same time, they're not denying themselves from relationships. So they're trying to have all the benefits of marriage without any of the commitment of marriage. And there's a big problem there. When you take, if your parents gave you a baseball bat for Christmas, what would they expect you to do with it? Hit a baseball, right? Well, if you hit your brother with the baseball bat, are you using the gift as it was intended? It might be fun to hit your brother with it, but does that make it right? And is it causing harm to others? Is it honoring your parents when you hit your... you guys getting where I'm going with this? No? If we take the relationships that God has designed, if we take sex and marriage, and we receive those as gifts from God as he has given us to them to him, but we use them in an inappropriate way, and we use them in a way that's not designed, that causes harm to ourselves and to others and dishonors God, We are disregarding the gift he has given us. Is that clear then? (laughs) But there's this huge expectation that you're not going to be happy without a spouse. That you will be alone and miserable, missing out on the goodness and the meaning of life if you forego marriage. Others will reject the idea of a monogamous relationship altogether as some relic that belongs in the trash. But here's a little hint. The world is not all about you. It's not all about us. It's not all about our pleasures and our comfort and our desires. But we were created to glorify God. And it's really easy for us to put this like entitled mentality on. But I deserve to be married. And I deserve to be fulfilled. And I deserve and I, I need... We ought to be very careful when we hear those things coming through our mind. God's word speaks clearly on this. It is your relationship with him... That matters. It is your relationship with him that you were created for. That is where true life and true purpose is found. Verse 12. Paul kind of does a little bit of the opposite. He doesn't call on the authority of God in verse 12. But as an apostle, he gives this instruction. So as a messenger of God, he gives it. But he makes this distinction that this is not a command from God. But this is the instruction from the apostle. To the rest I say this, not I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife. And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as they are are holy, but as it is, they are holy, excuse me. But if the believer leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? In all these circumstances and everything that I just read, you can feel like you're left out to dry by God. As though he has designed your life to be unfair. Especially in comparison to other people and everyone else and what they enjoy and have. But we know that God uses all things together for the good of those who love him. Which means all things. For the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. This includes your personal covenant with your husband or wife. So instead of pursuing your own relief from difficult situations or desires that you have in these very difficult relationships, we should instead be pursuing God. That should be what's driving you. That should be what's guiding you. Not trying to find a little escape door, but pursuing God. We can't expect God to bless something that is clearly against his teaching. Nor can we expect him to bless a purpose not led by the Holy Spirit. Paul is emphasizing here not a loophole to your promise that you made. Rather, he is saying, if your faith is the source of contention in your marriage, it is better for you for them to reject you and leave than for you to reject Christ. Just your very presence in their life brings the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. This is a close and personal opportunity for someone to feel and experience the love of God in their lives. Which is hard. It's really hard when somebody does not love you back. It's very, very hard if you are in these difficult situations. Mm. But God has called you as a witness to your family, first and foremost. So don't disregard that opportunity that God has given you. If you look back at verse 11, verses 12 and 16 are not overruled by the command of verse 11. Right, so Paul's making this concession in verse 12 that does not overrule the command he gives us in verse 11. Or, excuse me, 10 and 11. So, whether they stay or whether they go, we ultimately belong to and are married to Christ. Paul goes on to explain the fundamental reasoning behind it, verse 17. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Do not let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. How can we do that? Because some of the situations that we are in are important like seemingly impossible. Some of the situations we're in are unfair or just terrible all around. We're going to get to that, but the point is is that we belong to Christ first and foremost, and the things of this world are passing away. The pain, the hurt, all of it is temporary. <clears throat> And so what we look forward to as we endure all that is to Christ and what he has coming to us. How is it possible? How can the believing stay in a marriage that is broken or spiritually unequal? We can't turn to 2 Corinthians 6-7 to because the context is different there. Our relationships that we choose have consequences. They have meaning, and they are temporary. That goes both ways, right? The beautiful marriage that you have with your spouse, it's temporary. They're on loan to you from God. And we know from Scripture that we won't be married in heaven. (coughs) Why? Why? How can you sleep at night with that, right? Because that kind of hurts, right? To think that I'm not going to be married when I'm in heaven. I'm going to be married to the Lamb. Because you're going to be married to the Lord, that's right. The one who gave you that relationship. The one that relationship is supposed to be a reflection of. So you get the real thing. Our relationships that we choose have consequences. They have meaning, and they are temporary. Which is why this teaching is bundled with slavery and other seemingly captive situations. How is Paul doing that? I mean, some people might chuckle that you're putting slavery and you're putting marriage in the same in the same context here, but he is doing that. He's saying that those situations are temporary, but the time with the Lord is eternal. I mean, those seemingly captive, captive situations, the things you can't change, like being like being circumcised, you can't uncircumcise yourself. You can't grow back what you cut off. You can't undo what you've done in many situations. This means that we can continue to trust God in these very difficult, life-altering trials. What seems like captivity is really an opportunity to glorify God. Now Paul continues, verse 25. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think it's good for a man to remain as he is. That crisis being, they're plagued with sexual immorality. I think it's good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. He's saying if you're engaged, don't get unengaged. And if you're not engaged, don't don't seek to be engaged. Little helpful tip: If you want to set your, if you do have a desire to be married, and you want to set yourself up for a great relationship, don't go searching. For a wife, or a husband, go searching for God, first and foremost, and pray and tell him that's a desire that you have, and then expect that he's going to have the best for you, whether that's a relationship or not, and be content with what he gives. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. (laughs) A big purpose of what he's talking about. He says marriage is hard. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. And all the people said, "Hey, (laughs) man! It is hard to be married. It's not easy." Paul explains what I mean, brothers and sisters. This is verse twenty-nine: is that time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. This makes sense if you look at verse twenty-nine, the very beginning. What he says from now on makes sense from what continues and what he had just recently said about marriage and about those commitments and about all that. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Does that mean they just do whatever they want and meet all the women they want? Is that what he's talking about? What is he saying? Focus on, God. Focus on God. That's exactly what he's saying. <clears throat> From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. It's all temporary often we feel trapped or engrossed in our freedom but the perspective that will put all of our blessings and curses in check is the simple fact that the things of this world our present situation whether painful or pleasing is not going to last forever God has something better coming God's restoration and his judgment is coming. And the way we live in this temporary place has eternal purpose. Verse 29 through 31 could be a sermon all on its own. But I'll save you that. For this world in its present form is passing away. It's all temporary. Now for those who get frustrated with the lack of teaching that applies to your single free living lifestyle. Your day has come. Paul has great praise for you. And also a a, a big commission as well. I would like for you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. So Paul Paul is saying it's better to be single because it's easier to be focused solely on God. But this is the thing for us who are married as well, to be pursuing. To be pursuing God first and foremost. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided of devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might be acting unhonorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. But he what? Read it. He must belong to the Lord. Doesn't have to have the best hair or be the strongest, look really good with his shirt off, be able to lift heavy things. No, he has to belong to the Lord. It's interesting, right? Because you want to shape your Sunday around what God wants. But how do you shape your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? How do you shape the rest of your life? You want to be diligent and obedient to God in prayer, but how... Do you devote yourself to the Lord in your relationships? How do you submit to him in every aspect of your life? Not just reserving, oh, these are, the, these are the things that I do the way that I want to do them and how I want to do them. I use the baseball bat any way I want when my parents aren't looking. So this is the point that Paul's hitting at. That we need to be devoted to the Lord in every aspect of our life. He says in verse 40, In my judgment she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. He's saying there's there's a special place for those who have lost a loved one And seek God. He's not knocking people who get married as widows. But he's saying the relationship that we have with God is first in our lives. Not the relationship we have with our spouse. And truly, the relationship that we have with God is going to reflect into our marriage. You want to have a healthy marriage? Start by having a healthy relationship with God. The split devotion we have often gets us to trouble, into trouble, giving us justification to break the commands of God for our own pleasure and comfort. All of this, ladies and gentlemen, is an issue of obedience. That word that everybody loves. You know, that's not a teenage problem, as we like to say, oh, teenagers have such a problem with obedience. No, adults, everybody has a problem with obedience. Obedience is the original sin. Adam and Eve disobeyed God. He told they had one job. And they messed that up. They were disobedient. They rebelled against him to do what they wanted to do, to try to take God's place. To be their own gods. Obedience is a human problem and it's one of our greatest struggles that we face but it's one in our freedom we have the choice we have the power we've been enabled to obey god but before we knew christ you couldn't do it it was impossible but now that you have the spirit of god living in you now that the holy spirit is in you He is the one that empowers you to do that. He is the one that empowers you to struggle against this world and the desires of your heart to seek after the will and the desire of what God wants. God gives us the free will to do what we want. No, he gives us free will to obey him. In that obedience is where we find real freedom because we have the gifts he has given them and we're using them in the way that he designed I think of, if you have kids, you might be able to relate to this. But you have kids and you have this expectation for them to be happy, to make great use of their life, to bless others and to love them and to love you. And the entire first part of their life is you simply teaching them obedience and loving them so that they can be successful, so they can understand what love is, so they can get outside of themselves and love you and love the world or the people of the world. And most of all, to love God. And that's the most painful thing, is to see your children being disobedient. That's us. But that's the beauty of what God has done. Because while we were disobedient, while we were still sinners, while we rejected God and misused all that he had given us, sinning against him, he sent his son Jesus in our stead, and Jesus, in obedience, sacrificed himself for our sake, to save us. Did you know that? Being sacrificed on the cross isn't something that Jesus wanted to do on his own. He wanted to be obedient to God. And because he wanted to be obedient to God, he willingly went to the cross for us. God shapes our desires. He shapes our lives to honor and to glorify him. There's a reason that he tells us to do what he wants. He has good in store for us, something better than we can design or plan, life-giving direction that leads us to him. But there's this battle that happens inside. First Timothy 4, 1 through 5. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come from hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order to them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. The Greeks who lived in Corinth, lived among, who lived among the church there, advocated for morality. But in doing so, they rejected sex and declared it as wrong. But it is good. When God put Adam and Eve together, only then did he, create, did he declare humanity as good. It seals and it glorifies that union in God. The issue is taking something that God planned for you and abusing it for your own purposes. So we, as Christians, need to be serious about obeying God if we want to receive his blessings. Jesus did all he did in obedience to the Father. And we are born again to live like Christ did. So the Spirit should dictate our actions not us trying to weasel our way around what is uncomfortable for us or doesn't live in line with the plan that we want. We should leave the inappropriate relationship because we love God more. We should reject pornography because we know that he has something better planned for us. We should leave this world behind and its way of living that leads to sin and find our contentment in Christ looking forward to the blessings of his promises, which are greater than anything we can find here on earth. The Corinthians were living for themselves on the world's template, but God has called us to live for him. After all, we belong to him. And we're bought by him, by the blood of Jesus. So we are to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. Why would we do that? We do that because we love him. Why do we love him? Because he loved us first. We trust him. We see him as worthy, worth trading our dead and sinful lives in for life with him. Jesus put the Father's will before his own for this very reason we were saved. Matthew 16:24 through 27 says, "Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and how you have structured it. Are you honoring God? Are you seeking Him? Or are you trying to honor yourself? Let the Holy Spirit lead you to repentance. Seek God for wisdom in your specific situation, and remember that He isn't going to guide you to do do something contrary to His Word. And where He has directed you, obey. Is Jesus really the Lord of your life? Prove it. He said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. John fifteen five through 12 says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up. Thrown in the fire and burn. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. That's kind of like when your child is obedient, right? And they ask for something, boy, you just want to give it to them because you want to reinforce their obedience. You want to reinforce that goodness that they have done in response. Verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And as I'm reading that, if you're dying a little bit inside, because you know that you fail in this capacity, Because we all, all of humanity fails. We all fall short. We don't reach the mark. But that's why God gave us Jesus. He is perfect for us. He is sinless for us. In our place. He set aside his life, obeying the Father, and sacrificed himself with the purpose of saving you. He took your execution, your guilt Therefore, we can stand guiltless and blameless before God, not because of our feeble attempts at goodness or trying to deny the good things that God has created in an attempt to avoid evil. But we avoid evil by turning to Christ. He is our salvation. He is our victory. Jesus is holy for us. He made us holy by washing our sin away, making us right with God. So in response to his great love and life, we are offered. You can approach God with confidence that Jesus has done all that was necessary to give you the forgiveness that God offers. You don't have to do anything to receive it. You turn to him, trust him in faith, and you will receive the promised gift A full, everlasting life. So no matter what you have done, you can sleep well at night because Jesus has made you belong to him. I wrote Trust and Obey, like that made me think of that hymn. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. To be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Mm-hmm. Let's pray. Lord, listening is hard. Father, the the worries and the barriers of this world are crushing. And so, Lord, we need you. We need your wisdom and your guidance. We need your love above all else, Lord. Without it, we can't survive. Whatever situation we're in, Lord, give us contentment in you. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would just be, we would be conscious of the Holy Spirit you have placed in us, understanding that your presence does not leave us. You don't abandon us. You don't abuse us. You don't hurt us or forsake us, Lord, but you love us. So help us to endure our troubling situations. Give us a right understanding of the gifts that you've given us, Lord. And bring us to obedience in you, Lord, where we would praise your Son, Jesus, our Savior. We ask all this in your name. Amen.